We're starting a new series tonight. It's, uh, it's called, what's it called? The Heart Vision. It's our vision. Uh, we didn't really have a title so much, but uh, it is the heart vision. And I want to specifically, I, every time I talk about our vision, I always want to point out to you that it's really, really important to, to us and to me that this is not just like for the sake of memorizing some little tagline and having a sticker and, you know, putting it on a t-shirt and whatever. Like we're, we're actually asking you, as we help you know what the vision is, we're inviting you to believe it. Yeah. Like really, to really believe it. A, a, a vision of a church does nothing if it's just the staff or elders that believe it. Because the church is not the staff and the elders. Even though I, I'm the one, you know, a few of us hold this microphone, we are not the church. You are the church. That's right. That's right. And so together we are the heart. And so what we're going to be and what we're going to do in this city, in this generation, we are only going to do together. And so this is an invitation. This is your invitation to know the vision, to believe the vision, and to do the vision. Okay, so let me show you what it is. We've created this little... Um, thing you probably have seen it uh, it's out there on our walls if you could put the vision slide up for us we are uh, people I think it's let's do the full let's do the full screen can we do the full screen one there it is. heart of the city church we are a people after God's own heart like we want to be really not just religious but really after God's heart in relationship with him and so that means that we exist to help people know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. Now, you may, you may know that. You may know that this is the vision. You may, you may not. There's so many new people coming to our church all the time, and we're so glad that you're here with us. And maybe you're joining us online, and, and you're new to our community. You maybe have never heard that before or, or paid attention to the sticker on the wall. Or, but, but that's what we exist to do. We exist to help people know God. In a real way. We exist to help people find freedom. And the, the primary way that we do that, by the way, is through our small groups. If you haven't caught that yet, the primary way that we help people find freedom is through our small groups. And so next weekend is really, really important to us. We're, we're doing our spring small group launch, and we're launching, at, at this point, like eight or ten new small groups. And I hope, I hope it turns out to be even more than that. And the way that that can happen is if you say, hey, I want to be part of that. I just want to take the weight off your shoulders it's really not that difficult. It just means getting together with some friends that you already want to hang out with and eat a meal with. You already want to encourage them. You already want to read the Bible with them and just saying, hey, let's just make this thing official. Let's just get together once a week or once every other week and let's, let's come together. Let's encourage one another. Let's pray together. Let's read the scripture together and let's talk about what's next in our faith journey together. That's what it looks like to, to be a part of a small group at the heart. And so if that's you, please email us at groups at theheartcda.com. But anyway, I digress. Uh, we exist to help people know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. And you're going to hear about the, the latter three in the next few weeks. But tonight, I'm here to remind you yet again that the primary thing that we exist to do is help people know God. Why? Because this is what we exist to do for all of eternity. John 17, 1, Jesus describes for us exactly what heaven is. This is eternal life, that they might know God, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. You ever, 
You ever noticed that before? The simplicity of Jesus' description of eternal life? Are you, all, are you all awake with me? Are we, are we, am I doing okay? Did I lose my edge? And <laughs> Did I lose it? <laughs> I mean, I don't need your applause. I'm just, I just want you to be with me. This is eternal life, that you would know God. That you would know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. So our vision has to start with that because that's what we're going to do for the rest of eternity. And by the way, the, the latter three, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference, those are all extremely important, but they're important for this life. You ever thought about that? Those, those three things are probably going to cease after this life. You're going to be free in heaven. Right? And, and, you know, I think maybe God, there's probably purpose for us in heaven, and we'll find that out later, but it's not the same purpose as now. You're never, ever, for the rest of eternity, going to tell somebody who doesn't know Jesus about Jesus, just so you know. Right? You're never, ever, for the rest of eternity, going to be able to rejoice in the midst of darkness. Right? So, anyway, I'm here to talk about knowing God tonight. And so I have chosen a very fun passage. I don't know. I just like the hard ones. So open your Bible to Matthew 7. Um, I just, I, there's something about me that, <sighs> we're going to read Matthew 7, 21 through 23. I do like the challenge, um, but more than that, I know that you read the Bible, and if you're anything like me, you read passages like this and they scare you. This is one of the scariest passages in the Bible, in my opinion. This is what it says. Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, this is Jesus speaking, the Son of God, God in the flesh. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. And on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. You workers of lawlessness. Scary. We need to pray. <laughs> Holy Spirit, we, we are so thankful that you're here with us. That we're not here just to play church and go through the motions. That we're here to meet with you. And we, we're desperate to hear from you. And we ask that you would illuminate your heart of what you said, what you meant in this passage. And and the rest of the, the breadth of scripture and your heart and what you meant and what, we, what you want us to know, like the song that we were singing, that we would be the church that you desire, the people that you desire. Lord, I pray that for anybody that's here or listening online or wherever, whenever, that doesn't really know you, that you would draw them into right and restored and real relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to tell you part of my story. You may not know this about me. The year was 2002, and I was on trial. 
had just turned 18, and so I was being tried as an adult. And through the midst of that, that process, that summer, 2002, they laid out 18 years of evidence against me. And uh, they pointed out the hypocrisy. They pointed out the acting, the sleaziness, the weirdness. And when all was said and done and presented, all the evidence was presented, the, the accusation against me was stalking. Not like stock market stalking, but the other kind, stalking. And stalking is like a really interesting accusation. It's a really interesting crime, like in a weird, creepy kind of way. But like, like stalking to stalk somebody, it's really weird because in some ways it's actually rooted out of a positive thing, right? A desire for love or a desire for a relationship. Or, but it's just pursued in a really creepy, really bad way. And uh, the judge that I had was a really good judge, perfect record actually. The prosecutor, perfect record. And the evidence was there. I was convicted. I just was stalking Jesus. Nah, yeah. The summer between my junior and senior year of high school, I, it wasn't before a, a man, man-made court. It was before all of heaven. And I felt like God said, no, seriously, I felt like God said, hey, Craig, do you believe in me? And I said, yeah, for sure. <laughs> and he said, really? Because you don't act like it. And it was like in that moment, the gavel came down on my life. You're a fake, bro. Stalking. This this picture of relationship that is lacking in proximity, intimacy, and reciprocation. Stalking. A relationship that is lacking in proximity, real intimacy, and reciprocation. Now, I had grown up in the church. I had gone to all the camps. I had gone to the purity training in middle school. I had signed the covenant form. I had gone to Royal Rangers when I was a kid. I had gone to, yeah, anybody, anybody, hello, Royal Rangers. What are those little cars that you make? Come on. That's, yeah. What are those cars called? Pinewood Derby, let's go. I had gone to youth group every Wednesday night. I had gone to church every Sunday morning. Couldn't stay the night at my friend's house on Saturday night because we in this family, we go to church. Everybody in my family was a Christian. I called myself a Christian. If you asked me, I definitely would have told you I was a Christian. But the evidence was against me. I did not follow Jesus I was not in close proximity with him. There was no intimacy with him, and there was no reciprocation in this case of his love for me. I sort of believed in him from afar. You know, like a stalker knows a lot about somebody, but there's no real relationship. 
A stalker could steal your journal and read all about you and know all the creepy details of your life. They might even, they might even read the journal enough to be able to leave it and quote it. I know everything about her. I love her. But if there's no proximity, no intimacy, and no reciprocation, you deserve to go to jail. The difference between a stalker and a lover is proximity, intimacy, and reciprocation. And so I was convicted. I was a fake. All I was doing was stalking Jesus, knowing a little bit about him from afar. I believed, I 100% believed that Jesus was real. I believed that he existed 2,000 years ago. I believed that he died on the cross. I believed all that. I just didn't follow him with my life because I didn't know him. I knew about him, but I didn't know him. I found myself in some ways in the same place that these guys in Matthew 7 found themselves. Like these people, they had more evidence than I did that they were in relationship with God. That's why this passage is so scary. I mean, think about it. Fact one. Fact one in the court of law. Many will call me Lord, Lord. That's what Jesus says. That's a fact. Many are going to call me Lord, Lord. Fact number two. Not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord is going to get in the kingdom of heaven. Fact number three. Apparently, the key piece of evidence is going to be, did you do the will of my Father in heaven? Many will call me Lord, Lord. Not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord will, will receive the kingdom of heaven. And the key piece of evidence is this. Did you do the will of the Father in heaven? Now, I felt like, I, you know, like many of you, I, I've gone to church. I, I've done the Bible study. I, I pray sometimes, like before meals and sometimes even before bed. You know, I, I go to a small group. I, I, there's a lot of religious things that we can do. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we are doing the will of the Father in heaven. Isn't it crazy that what they were doing, Jesus says if you're going to be in the kingdom of heaven, you're going to do the will of the Father. And then he goes on to describe these people that did some of the most spiritual acts that we could do in the church. They prophesied in the name of Jesus. They cast out demons in the name of Jesus. And they did many mighty works in the name of Jesus. But in this passage, when he says, I'm only going to receive you if you do the will of my Father, we have to understand what that means. Doing the will of the Father. Luckily, he describes it for us. He describes it in the very condemning statement that he gives against them. He will look at them and he will say, I never knew you. In other words, him knowing us and us knowing him is the will of the Father. This passage is very scary because in our minds, it makes us feel like, oh my goodness, how can I be sure? 
if, 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 you can, if you can't even be sure if you're casting out demons and prophesying and doing many mighty miracles, how can I be sure? Well, I look at it a little differently. In fact, this is actually a liberating passage. Because what he's saying to us takes off of us the performance mentality, takes off of us our perfection and our ability to do and perform and be and, and do the most mighty of works. What he's saying to us is it's not about primarily the things that we do. It's about the relationship that we have. This is freedom. That we would know him in a real way. Like we get to know God. So if you were standing trial and you were presenting evidence What would the conclusion be? What would the verdict be? Do you know him? Do you really know him? Or are you just a fan? Are you just a stalker? What's your proximity with Jesus? Do you have intimacy with Jesus? Do you have intimacy with the Holy Spirit? I know what it's like to sit in church for 17 years and not actually be in relationship with Jesus. And tonight, I, I just couldn't wish anything more upon you that you would really know God. That you would really know him. Because when you come to know God and not just religion, everything changes. Yep. Come on. That's right. I was even thinking about like Logan when he's MCing up here and he's so like loud and passionate and yelling. And I couldn't help but think that there's maybe some people in here that are, felt, feel the way that I remember feeling when I was younger, like looking at people up on a stage that are yelling and hooting and hollering for Jesus and thinking to myself, is this real? Is this even the real, like, what is this guy? I remember feeling that way about people like you. <laughs> and people like me, and people like me. But I just feel, like, pressed to let you know that four years ago on Tuesday was the last time that this guy got high. And this robust, muscular young man was not as muscular as he is now. He was, he was, decre how, what? He was 97 pounds. He was wasting away. He was a heroin addict. He was at the bottom of the barrel. He was, he knew when the scripture says you're dead in your trespasses and sins. You didn't have to convince him. He knew that he was dead, but Jesus saved his life. And so when he gets up here celebrating and yelling, it's because it's actually real. He came to know a God that's real. It wasn't religion that saved this guy. It's Jesus, the son of God, living in him and resurrecting his life. There's a reason for yelling and getting excited because he knows God. It changes everything. I just want you to know him too.
Philippians chapter 3, Paul says, if anybody has a reason to boast, I have more. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews, born of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised on the eighth day, that is to go with the, the tr tradition and rule. He says, hey, when it comes to legalistic perfection, I'm there. Training, I'm there. He trained under Gamaliel. He was a lead, lead rabbi. Legalistic righteousness, I'm perfect. When it comes to uh, zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. He says, but whatever was to my profit, I consider it a loss for the sake of knowing Christ. He says, what is more, I consider everything rubbish, garbage. In fact, some, some, the, uh, some theologians think that that's actually a swear word. Like if I said it, you probably email me. Like, like dog poo, like dog poo, right? You see what I'm saying? He says, I, like this is the boldness that he's speaking with. He says, I consider all of that trash compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus as Lord, for whose sake I have given up all things, that I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that's found in the law, but a righteousness that is found in him. In fact, he goes on to say that I should wish that I could suffer just like he suffered and being found in him. Oh man, it's crazy. Do you feel that way? When we're, when we're singing a song with everything, with everything, with everything, when we're singing songs, I would trade anything just to be with you. Do you really mean it? Like, do you really want to know God so much that you would trade that girlfriend or that boyfriend? You would trade that addiction? You would trade that pursuit? Of, is there any dollar amount that you, that somebody could offer you that would get you to, to leave Jesus? If you were to trade places with Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk and you would have all the riches of the world, would you trade it for, for knowing God? Is there any amount of worldly pleasure that is worth not knowing God? a passage in Ephesians to you. In fact, I just want to pray this over you. Will you just bow your head and hear this? Um, Ephesians is interesting because he lays out like all these truths to the church that God's done. And he points out all these things that have already happened. God's redeemed you. He's predestined you. He's called you. He's, he's raised you up. He's seated you with Christ. He's all of these things. And then he prays that they would actually know what he just described to them. Here's his prayer for them. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend, that is to know, with all the saints, what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ 
that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Such an interesting term. He's praying for them and I pray for us. You catch this? He says, I pray that you would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. I pray that you would know what surpasses knowing. I pray that you would know what you can't even fully comprehend, that you would know something that goes beyond knowing. This is the reality of what Jesus is offering us, that we would know him in a way that transcends just academic or intellectual knowledge. I knew quite a bit, not a lot, but I knew quite a bit about Jesus when I was 17. I knew some verses and I, I knew the Bible stories and I knew, I knew some of the details. I knew how it all worked. I knew that he died on the cross. I knew, I knew some facts about him, but I didn't know him. C.S. Lewis has many amazing works, but one of them, this allegory called The Great Divorce, it's a fictional book, but it's describing heaven and hell. And it's kind of this weird, interesting story where um, these people get on this bus and they travel from hell to heaven and, and like everything in heaven was so much more real. They stood on the grass and it was like standing on nails. It was so real. And, but there's this one part in the book where these guys were talking to the angel and they said, hey, I saw this Bible college professor down in hell. What's he doing down there? And the angel was like, oh yeah. He knew, he knew a lot about God. He just never knew him. It's always stuck with me. I remember first reading that when I was getting my degree in theology in college. I remember a specific moment walking across my college campus as a senior who has a bachelor's in theology I knew about church history and I knew about orthodoxy and, and doctrine and I knew about, like I knew Greek and I knew, and yet again, Jesus put me on trial. He said, Craig, you've spent a lot of time learning a lot of things about me. Make sure you don't forsake relationship with me. And so you, many of you, many of you, you're, you're probably here and, and you, you know God. You really do. I'm not trying to insinuate that people in the church don't know God. You, you do. And so if, if I'm not speaking to you, if the, you know, if, you, if you're there, then maybe this message could just continue to spur you on, continue to encourage you to always remember that walking in real proximity and intimacy and reciprocation is important. I know many, many of you are doing that. But my guess is that there's some of you that like me, you, you maybe have been in church a long time, but you, you're just kind of going through the motions or you, I, I don't know what it might be for you. Only, only you would know in your heart. Put it like this, like if the Holy Spirit's convicting you, then it's for you. 
And if not, then it's not. And lastly, my guess is that in a, in a room this size, there's probably also some people here that like you're, you're new to church or somebody, somebody invited you and you came and, and like you've never declared that you're walking with Jesus. You never declared that you're a Christian and you, you've never, you know, you don't know God. Well, tonight's your night too. And so wh- whoever you are, wherever you're at, I just wanna invite you to know to believe in your heart that, and I'm not preaching against all of the things that going to church, small group and Bible study and prayer and serving and all that. Obviously, I believe that I want you to be involved in a small group and find freedom. I want you to discover your purpose. I want you to make a difference and I want you to do all those things. But if we do all those things without actually knowing him, we're going to kill ourselves primarily want you and Jesus primarily wants you to know him this is the will of the father that you would know him this is eternal life that you would know the only true God in Jesus Christ whom he has sent in deep personal and real relationship